Recent cyber threats and attacks on major businesses are reminding us that we need to be aware of security at all times. But are several of these processes outdated and do we need to think of new protection schemes? On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to talk about how users can better protect themselves when it comes to some of the latest and newest security threats. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on the show is Juliana Lamb. She is the co-founder and CTO of Stitch. Welcome to the show, Juliana. Thanks for having me. Uh, just to give uh, listeners and audience members a, a, a bit of a background, um, tell me a little bit about your background in the security space and, and you know why you're an expert on such of these things. Yeah, definitely. So um, my background is in software engineering. Um, my co-founder and I both work together at a company called Plaid. Um, Plaid basically offers sort of bank connections as a service. So um, popular fintech apps like Venmo, Cash App will use uh, Plaid to connect your bank account. And so basically what we were building there is like log into your bank as a service, essentially, yep. um, making it really easy to um, build those data connections and saw a lot of really interesting um, sort of fraud and authentication problems at scale, integrating with 10,000 different banks in the US and uh, supporting hundreds of millions of users. Um, and we ended up building a lot of authentication in-house there that we wish we'd had tooling for. And so my co-founder and I started Stitch, uh, basically to make it really easy for companies to build user authentication and fraud detection and prevention uh, into their uh, applications. Okay. And, and you know, I, I've got a list of different procedures. I think when we talked uh, before the show, we, we had listed out a bunch of different processes that I think a lot of users are, are used to, or if they've been in, in the tech space for, you know, a number of years, uh, they've probably seen a lot of different things uh, in terms of protecting themselves. So I want to go through a bunch of these because some of these do seem a little outdated, uh, especially on the cusp of new types of attacks, which we'll also get into as well. Um, so let's talk about past passwords and uh, those types of authentication system. I, I have my own problems with, with passwords. I, I'm probably one of those people that um, other security officials warn about sometimes in terms of <laughs> lack security. Um, so so tell me about what the problems with a lot of the passwords that we have today. Yeah, I think with password-based authentication, we're putting a lot of responsibility on the user to understand what a good secure password is to manage different passwords across all of their different accounts. And um, I, I work in this space and, and I can definitely say that I don't even use different passwords for all of my accounts. Sometimes there's um, you know convenience, you don't wanna have to set up another password for yet another account. And so you end up reusing the same password across many of your different online accounts. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is that one of those gets breached and all of a sudden attackers have passwords to uh, a bunch of your other different accounts that didn't even get um didn't suffer that breach right but because you're using that same password all of a sudden the door is wide open uh to a ton of different accounts and i think we we sometimes try and like help users by putting these requirements in place like oh you have to have um uppercase, lowercase, a digit, a symbol, all of these different requirements. And it ends up sort of causing users to cut corners, right? And reuse that same password that they have, um, that they know fits all those conditions, which actually ends up leading to worse outcomes uh, for the user. Right, right. And, and I love that that, uh, that that requirement became a an acronym. Uh, the lower, was it lower, upper digit and symbol is now LUDs. So you guys just refer to that stuff as LUDs, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those. The, I think that requirement is the thing that irritates me the most, and and causes me to do things like what you're saying. Um, I have a, a, a coworker, a friend who every time, and it's not me just talking about myself, by the way, you know how when you do that in, in a conversation, like I have a friend it, and it's really you, it's not. <laughs> I do have a friend who every time he gets asked to do another password, he just adds another letter or a digit. So if his password originally was Keith1234, it then becomes Keith1234, Keith12345. And and that's that's awful too, because if you if you figured out my original one or any of those then you've 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 discovered uh, probably a bunch of passwords that that they're using for other things is, is that that's that you know and then the, there's the problem with people writing things down on on post-it notes and things like that right so should should companies that when they're developing apps or developing other things is there still a a, a way for passwords to be used is it is it the new systems that store your passwords whether it's through a browser or a separate app is there still a good case for passwords yeah i think there's probably still good use cases for passwords i think the industry is definitely trending towards passwordless but i think that is a a pretty big shift in how a lot of um, different systems are built what users are comfortable with and so i think we see that as like a trend that is starting to to really pick up but uh probably still some time before the world is is truly passwordless and so in the interim, I think there's a few different things that you can do, um, both as a user, but also as a company building authentication. Uh, so from the company side, doing things like checking to see if a password that a user is trying to use has been found in a previous breach uh, can be a really good way to make sure that you're protecting your users and helping them by forcing them to reset that password if it has been found in a previous breach. Right. Um, that tends to be more user-friendly than like those random requirements, right? Um, another thing that you can do is, is make sure that you have really good two-factor authentication, particularly for um, sensitive or high-value accounts making sure that that's an option uh, for your users and and mandating it for things like a bank account, for example, where um, there is a ton of value behind that account. I think trusting just a password uh, isn't really a good practice at this point. And then from a user side, uh, I think password managers are, are super valuable, whether that be like Chrome or Safari and they're built in or using something like 1Password uh, that manages your passwords for you. It'll generate complex passwords and, and save it automatically. And then you don't really have to deal with that headache of, of trying to remember all these passwords or trying to to hold on to them in, in a way where you're able to to find them when you need them. Are there, are there any security problems with the systems that if, if I decided I don't want to memorize all these passwords or have them in a list somewhere, uh, sometimes I'll just go to a site and I haven't been there for a while and I'm like, well, I don't remember what my password is. So I click that little link that says, forget your password. And then as long as you can remember um, an email address or a phone number or something like that with associated with that account, it'll then send you a, a, you know, a new code and then you use that code and then reset your password. Um, I, I've, I've seen people that use that as their password method. So like, I'll just reset my password every time. Are those safe and secure that method or, it, or can those be breached? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a totally reasonable way to handle this. Okay. Um, what we do with our password reset is we actually offer um, a one-click login with what we call a magic link so that if you get that password reset email and you don't actually want to set a new password, you just want to log into your account, um, you can just 
click the login without password button and, and get logged in. Essentially what you're doing in that case is um, whatever you're using to reset that password, like an email verification, that's basically um, what is keeping your account secure. Mm -hmm. So I think um, there, it's really important that you always make sure that like your email account, your phone and, and SMS are, are really tightly secured. Um, because so many different accounts are going to go through those. And so if you like prioritize keeping one account secure, your email is is really important because yeah. you can reset most passwords with the email and totally fine if, if that's what um, you're using instead of a password too. There's, there's no real benefit in actually creating that new password as long as the old one wasn't something that had been breached. Yeah, and, and you mentioned two-factor authentication uh, earlier as well. It, it does seem like a lot of companies uh, in their pass in their authentication methods, they're like still okay with passwords, but then they've added that extra layer, which is the two-factor authentication, uh, multi-factor authentication. I can tell you a story like our company just switched over into instead of an SMS now, we have to download an app, an authenticator app, and then type in a number and. Luckily for me, sometimes it, it, it works a lot faster, I think, than the, the SMS version. Um, but I was dreading kind of setting that up. Something that we talked about before, though, was that there's a lot of financial institutions that are struggling with adopting two-factor authentication on their systems. What, you know, what are some of the reasons why companies are, are not implementing this as much as you think they should be? Yeah, I think whenever you're talking about um, companies that have a lot of sort of maybe legacy tech or rely on third parties to um, provide some of their online platform, um, that's just going to be slow moving to adopt some of these trends. And so I think um, banking is, is one example where there's just a lot of sort of um, like legacy architecture that you have to work through and figure out how you have to collect phone numbers for all of your users, right, to be able to do an SMS verification. Um, and that might be a really big hurdle uh, that takes a lot of time. And so I think it's definitely where the industry is moving. And um, there has been, I think, like good adoption in recent years of, of two-factor, but it's it's still slow moving and um, probably will be still a little bit of time before you're at like 100% adoption across the board um, because it requires both the build out on the company side, but then it also requires users to to probably give up some information and, and make sure that they're um, they're like opting in to two factor. They're not going to get locked out of their account if you do um, start to enforce it. Yeah, I think uh, that that just reminded me of another story. I had a, a website that I was trying to get into, and they required me to have an authenticator app and I had it on an older phone, but then I traded in the phone, forgot to uninstall the authenticator or it didn't or deleted or didn't transfer it over. And so I had no idea how to authenticate through the app. And I kept telling this company, like, I can't do it. I don't have the phone anymore. But I had an email phone number. I had all this stuff to verify. I mean, it took probably three or four different emails back and forth until they finally allowed me into the account. Of course, then I, I, I used it to cancel it. But uh, <laughs> that's a different story. So when we start adding all of these things, does that increase the chance of different attack vectors for security th uh, for the hackers out there? Or are these new methods generally secure? Yeah, I think they are generally secure. And I think when it comes to things like account recovery, like what you're talking about there, the friction is actually um, good because that makes it 
much harder for someone to social engineer or fish you and be able to actually take over that account, um, verifying your identity or, or something like that throughout that process, I think is, is really important because, um, yeah, you're only sort of as secure as like the easiest way to get into the account. Yeah. And so, um, even if you require that authenticator app, if all of a sudden all I need to do is like send one email to support and I can take over your account, all of a sudden it doesn't really do much good that, um, you had that authenticator app. And so it's kind of this like balance of, yeah. um, knowing when to increase friction in a flow versus, um, when it's maybe okay, uh, to reduce some of that friction because you're coming from like a trusted device or you have that, that two factor code, et cetera. Yeah. And, and so there were some other, uh, approaches I think that can replace passwords uh, biometrics for example whether it's fingerprint or facial identification um, do these do these methods make it easier for the end user but then more difficult for the company that's doing the authenticating or is it just more expensive like why haven't we seen more uh, biometrics or is it because of the the potential privacy concerns out there, especially around facial recognition. I know that that's been getting some pushback. Yeah, I think biometrics and um, pass keys in particular are, are really promising as like a true replacement for passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're seeing is is slow on adoption for a few reasons. Um, one is that users need to have uh, devices or hardware keys that are enabled for that, right? So um, a lot of the newer phones and laptops have things like Touch ID, Face ID, et cetera. And so I think you're starting to see proliferation of that where it's it's something that can be um, sort of mass adopted. I don't think that was the case even just a, a couple years ago. Um, and then the other big thing is that uh, those methods have historically been tied only to that one device. And so um, I have Touch ID on my Mac. I have Face ID on my phone. Those are two distinct credentials. Yeah. Now with something called passkeys, uh, you're able to share those uh, across devices and across platforms. So passkeys are basically this sort of standard that the big tech players like Google, Apple are all building to um, that enables you to basically actually just like log in across any device with uh, your biometric that is that is tied to it. And for example, in the Apple ecosystem, it'll um, like sync to your iCloud account. And so you can set up a pass key on um, one device and be able to use that across devices. I think you still need to think a lot about account recovery and, and what that looks like. Um, you're tying more to your iCloud account now. So also making sure that you're keeping that secure. Um, I think historically, right, if I lost my phone and I only could log in with Face ID on my phone, for example, all of a sudden I have no access to that account. And so you need to have robust account recovery processes. I think a traditional like password reset flow um, is something that people have already built out. It's it's well established what that actually looks like. Yeah. Um, but when you're using something like passkeys, you're often going to use it as a replacement, not just for a password, but also for second factor, because now you're requiring a user actually have access to like this physical device and have some biometric characteristic. And so it's, it's much more secure in that sense and can actually be a replacement um, for that two factor authentication. 
So making sure that you're like not opening any back doors when it does come to account recovery is going to be really important yeah. there. And I think it's a lot to build. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and when you, when you talk with other people in the industry, when you, you know, either uh, colleagues or you go to a, a show and, and talking about security trends, do you find that newer methods of, of password and authentication and some of these newer methods like pass keys and biometrics, do those generally get adopted by a younger generation more than an older? generation like is it could it be that you know if if i'm in my 60s i'm like oh you know a password is good enough for me and that's i'm not going to try to use something new um do you find a generational shift as well that younger users might be more willing to try these new methods yeah i think you definitely see some of that um i think uh especially in older generations i think like even just like figuring out how to like authenticate online, right, has been something that they've had to learn as adults. And so um, as you like continue to, to rapidly change that, all of a sudden that's a lot to like ramp up with and understand. And I think people generally are aware um, that there are like risks, right, with different security methods, with different ways of authenticating. And so I think it can be scary if you don't really understand like um, the risks associated with different login methods, for example. Yeah. And so I, I find oftentimes, like, I don't know, talking to my parents, for example, that um, sometimes they're like a little hesitant with something because they're like not sure if it's dangerous or not. And and oftentimes those things are actually much more secure, but it's just a new it's a new way of, of doing things. And so I think there'll be ramp in terms of like educating users about um, what is secure. Right. And adjusting people from this mindset that like. Yeah, password one two three exclamation point is good too. Actually, that's that's terrible, and, and there's so many better ways that are also easier for you as a user too. Well, isn't isn't that also a way that a lot of people can get scammed? Um, I want I want let me let me rephrase that question. Because you're throwing a bunch of new authentication methods at a user, could that be used to trick someone into giving up their password? Like I could say, you know, if I was a scammer, I could then, uh, you know, send you a note that says, oh, we have this new method. You have to give us, you know, additional information in order to authenticate. And then at the meantime, while you're trying to upgrade them or make them more secure, you're actually stealing their data. It, it, does that make sense? Like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. So I think. Um, you see a ton of phishing when it comes to SMS one-time passcodes, yeah. for example. Um, I think it's like, unfortunately, pretty easy to like call someone and pretend to be support and ask for that one-time passcode. And it's like six digits that someone has to read you and all of a sudden you can get access to that account. Um, and so I think one-time passcodes are a fairly like risky way of doing multi-factor authentication for that reason. You see just a ton of phishing attacks that um, sort of use that as a threat factor. Uh, and so I think that's why you see everywhere, like we will never call you and ask you for a one-time passcode. Like no one ever calls you from support and asks for a one-time passcode. That's right. attackers only. And so I think that education is important. But I also think that's one of the reasons that biometrics is really exciting because now I can't like tell you on the phone my biometric data, right? Um, I have to be there actually like using my face ID to log in. And so I think it actually makes it much harder to um, succeed in those phishing attacks. Okay. When you, when you see the world of attacks out there, is are the new devices, is it the new devices, the phones? I feel like this is 20 years ago. Um, 
mobile phones and some of the SMS stuff and maybe calling someone on the phone, I guess, is an old method of, of an attack. But it, are, are, are you seeing more of those attempts versus just an, an email with a link in it? Uh, or is, is that still the old tried and true method to try to trick someone? Yeah, I think you still see a lot of that. And I think it's it's really changing too with generative AI because you can do synthetic voice now. And yeah. so um, it makes it easier to like, especially in like a workforce setting, for example, call and like actually pretend to be like the IT person at your company and you like recognize the voice, right? That, that's like a whole new um, sort of dimension that's that's getting thrown into the mix. And so I think you'll continue to see those like phone-based attacks um, really take off. Um, I think you do see things like um, email links. I think you're seeing more SMS links too that are phishing attacks. And I think part of the reason for that is like, there isn't great spam detection um, on text messages today. Mm -hmm. And so more likely that that ends up in a user's inbox on, on their text messages than it does via email where um, spam detection has gotten, has gotten really good. And so um, I think like anything that's coming to you via a uh, text message that's like, click on this link to recover your account. Like, unless you initiated that, it's pretty much always going to be um, an attack vector. And so um, I think there's a lot of like education that we still need to do with users, especially as like the landscape is changing with some of the, the generative AI stuff that makes it so much easier to be like really convincing in those attacks. Yeah. Let's let's give some of that advice to some of the listeners or, uh, or audience members. Um, give me a, a list of your kind of top, uh, top ways to, you know, pre- prevent these attacks from happening or, or getting tricked from these. I'll give you a couple of mine if you want to. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the the main one for me is just like, unless you requested something or you called someone, like don't say anything. No one's gonna call you. That's just not how um, support works. Uh, and if you are getting called from someone that you like think you recognize, it could even be a family member, but from an unknown number, um, you should really sort of like verify that identity. So maybe um, like hang up and call them on the number that you do know. And yep. so I think we should all sort of like um, be a little bit more wary in, in who we trust. And it's always better to like take a few extra minutes, right? And if um, you think you're talking to like uh, support for your bank, for example, because they called you and you like recognize the voice, even they're asking you for that one-time passcode, um, know that that's like not an interaction that will happen. Um, and you can always just like hang up and call your bank and be like, hey, did you call me or, or whatever um, sort of support uh, team that you might be talking with. Uh, and so I think we all just need to like keep our guard up and um, know that unless you're the one initiating something, it's probably a phishing attack. And um, you can always verify that by sort of reaching out yourself and, and verifying if it's it's a true interaction. All right. So, and then with these new voice phishing AI attacks, um, I think that there's, it, it almost has, there's two different things that I think we should uh, initiate. And so let's say you get a call from me um, and I say, oh, Juliana, uh, it's Keith. I, I, you know, we just finished our podcast, but all of a sudden, you know, I, I found myself arrested and, and I need you to send me <laughs> some money. It sounds like me. Uh, now let, let's say we knew each other more than just colleagues here on, on the podcast. Um, what 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 are two things that you would do to verify that it was me? 
Yeah. So I would see if there was like information that I knew that only you would know. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be pretty like discerning with what that is because people can like find a lot of information out there um, about you. And so maybe it's something that like, I know we only talked about in like a one-on-one call or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do is yeah. Hang up and call back, you know, ask, Oh, like which police station are you at? Right. right and and right. hang up and call that police station. Um, and so I think I would probably advise doing like both of those things just because I think, um, verifying with the information, uh, unless you have just like an extreme degree of confidence that, uh, only you two will know that information. Um, you, you have to think that like anything that you, maybe you had in like a picture out there online, like an attacker can have that information. Right. Right. You, yeah. I, I think with my kids, when they were younger, we would have a secret code word, uh, in case the, the, we were out and about and some random stranger came up to them, uh, and said, Oh, your dad, he, he just broke his leg and he told you to come with me. Uh, I told all of my kids that they would have to have a secret password. I thought I was beyond that cause they're all older now. Um, and they still do remember the passphrase, but I think that we're going to have to institute that again. If you ever get a phone call from me and it sounds like me, it's probably, it might not be me unless you know that, that secret password. The other one I would, would do is if I got a call from one of my kids, I think I'd, I'd try to track them through the, if they were calling me from their phone to be like, okay, are, are you really where you say you are? Uh, you know, and, and, and track them that way as well. But the police station idea, that's a really good idea too. You had another one in terms of if, um, if you're traveling, what that I, I don't think a lot of people secure their devices as well as they should, right? Yeah. So I think something you're seeing a lot of is um, people trying to like steal a phone out of your hand when it's unlocked. Um, so if you think about it, um, if you have your phone and it's unlocked, you can get into most of your applications. Like your email is probably sitting there wide open. Um, a lot of more sort of like sensitive apps, like banking apps, for example, will often actually require you to do a password when it's unlocked, but call it like 80% of your apps are probably unlocked if you have your phone unlocked. And so, um, the only thing standing between like someone trying to get access to those accounts and, um, actual access is your passcode to your phone or your face ID. Uh, but if they steal your phone when it's unlocked, all of a sudden they yeah. can, um, do a ton of damage. And so I think being really mindful, especially if you're in like a tourist area traveling where, um, there might be more sort of people, um, you know, not paying attention. You have your phone unlocked. You're taking pictures. You're not paying attention to your surroundings. Like, um, just remembering to keep your phone locked and, and be really mindful of not sort of like, um, holding it too loosely and, and waving it around unlocked because I think that is something that we're starting to see yeah, and, uh, a lot of. And when we had talked before the, the, the show, you had brought up SIM swapping and that's something I hadn't heard about. Can you explain what SIM swapping is? Yeah, so a SIM swap attack is basically when an attacker will call um, or reach out to support for your um, phone service provider. So I use Verizon, for example, they'll right. call Verizon and be like, Hey, I lost my phone. I need a new phone. Um, and this is my number. They'll have enough information about you to be able to, um, pass some of those security checks. 
Uh, and then if they get the new phone linked to your number, all of a sudden, all of those SMS one-time passcodes are going to the attacker's phone. Um, and so most uh, carriers, I know Verizon does this, I'm, I'm guessing the other big ones do as well, enable you to have a setting um, that requires you to like go through a more intense identity verification in order for that to happen. Um, oftentimes they'll require you to like go into a store in person, show ID, um, to be able to switch, uh, your SIM card from one phone to another. And so would recommend that, that everyone, um, go in and, and put that setting on, uh, to make sure that it's, uh, sort of, yeah, not wide open yeah. for is, is, um, is, is one that, gullible support agent. Yeah. Is that the only way that a user would be able to protect themselves from that? Uh, is to, other, is to revise that setting or, or just make sure that you do this. I mean, it, it feels like it's a Verizon and T-Mobile thing that they would have to enable. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, enabling that setting is, is pretty easy to do. So we definitely recommend that. And then the other thing is whenever you do have the option to use an authenticator app instead of an SMS one-time passcode, uh, for example, would, would recommend doing that because then it is tied to your device, which um, is great until you get a new phone and forget to switch it over. So just remember <laughs> to switch it over and, and it's fine. I think um, I like, I have stress about that. I'm about to get a new phone and I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to like miss transferring one of my accounts, but like Google Authenticator, for example, makes it, makes it really easy to do yeah. that if you have the old phone with you. Um, so I think that's like the best way to um, be in control too of, of your security. Yeah. And, and there's something you mentioned earlier on, on the episode was uh, to check to see if your email addresses have been involved in a, in a, in a data breach. What's the, what's the site of, what's that site called? Yeah, there's a website called Have I Been Pwned? Yep. Um, and you can yeah put in your email address. Um, you can look up sort of previous breaches that have happened. Uh, you can see if, if passwords have been found in breaches. Uh, it's really helpful for just sort of like knowing what um, data is out there on you. And, and so I, I've, I've gone to that site and I found that with my email, my, my, I don't want to call it my main, but by one of my Gmail accounts, has been used and, and, but they're with accounts that I don't use anymore. They're, they're with, you know, old websites or old games I was playing. Should I still be worried about things like that? Should I, cause I, cause obviously I don't want to go change a password for a service I'm not using anymore or, or a website that may not exist anymore. Um, and I don't want to change my email. So how do I use that information? Cause doing nothing sounds like it's a bad idea. Yeah, so if you know you used that password for that old account with another account, yeah. that's when you should be worried because okay. now they have access to that password. Yep. And so if you're using that same password with accounts that you do still use today, you should go and update those passwords uh, with those accounts that are still in use. Right, but there's the, I, I shouldn't just change my email, right? Or Yeah, I think that's, that's probably more hassle than it's worth. And, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's an option, but you'd have to go and change it with all of those accounts. And so it's probably easier just to go and change the password. Okay. All right. Uh, Juliana, thank you for, for joining us on the show today. Uh, some great tips, uh, great advice. Uh, so thank you for being here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. I'm Keith Shaw. Please be sure to subscribe to the channel, like the video, add any comments you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. Thanks for watching.